an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app and answer a few questions. With Angie, you can book instantly at an upfront price or request and compare quotes from multiple pros so you can find the best price for your project. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this podcast number 865. This episode brought to you by Audible. Uh, you probably like audiobooks. I mean, it's you can't you can't have a book in your face all the time reading words with your eyes. Sometimes you need to read a book with your ears. Katie, or from a, from a broad, from magazines or newspaper publishers or information providers, not just books. And then you can do you can catch up all on how new books. Use Audible for all of these these types of, of of reading consumption endeavors. Is that a fair statement? I think so. What are you listening to on Audible? Uh, right now, I'm I'm listening to The Handmaiden's Tale before the show comes out. Nice, yeah. Just to get a little. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to like read or listen to the book before the show. That's really interesting. Cause I always wonder where people fall on that. Like, oh, if I haven't read the book, do I watch the show? Yeah. First? Or so nothing. Do I watch the show so then the book isn't spoiled? Or well, is it I better started to read a bit ago because like the show doesn't come out to the end of this month. So gotcha. I wanted to make sure I had enough time. Well, just for listeners, Audible is offering a free 30 day trial membership. Go to audible.com/nerdist. Start your free trial today. Um, do you have anything on the Nerdist Community Corkboard that you would I like to share? I do. I got a couple things. First of all, if you live in L.A. and you want to go to a comedy show and help shelter pets, Home Dog L.A. is having their second annual comedy show to benefit their charity that works with pet owners in L.A. who need help in L.A. shelters to save the lives of shelter pets. Uh, this year's show is May 20th at Candela Taco Bar and Lounge, and it... Uh, Features Sarah Silverman, Nick Kroll, Natasha Leggero, Ahmed Barucha, and more. You can find tickets and info at punchlines4paws.brownpapertickets.com. And the four is the number four or homedogla.org. Excellent. What a lineup. Yeah. And then one more thing. This was really great. Uh, this person wrote in, uh, Devin Ellen Son. Uh, wrote in, I want to see if you can plug my mother's event to your community corkboard. Uh, she is doing a flamenco festival in Ithaca, New York at the end of April. Some of the top flamenco artists from Spain are performing two shows on April 29th at the State Theater. And there will be master classes for the dance, singing, guitar playing, and it sounds like a lot of fun. So if you go to Aura C Flamenco, that's uh, A-H-O-R-A-S-I-F-L-A-M. E-N-C-O dot com. You can find out tickets and info. Absolutely fantastic, Katie Levine. Thank you so much for being a valuable member of this team here <laughs> over at the Nerdist Podcast. Um, Dory Shafir is our guest on the show today. And Dory is married to Matt Myra. Who? This guy that used to hang out here all the yeah, time. He sucks. Thick beard. <laughs> I think he's from... Philadelphia? Where is he from? Oh my God, he'd be so. <laughs> I'm from Matt's, Lowell. Matt's from Lowell. Uh, but yeah, Dor- and then Matt Matt came too, and uh, Dory has a a book 
called Startup, which is a novel. It is in stores April 25th, so next week. And you should absolutely buy it. Dory is brilliant. Dory is a solid, brilliant human being. I'm so glad she came into Matt's life. He is an incredibly lucky individual yes, to, have, <laughs> to have been able to marry Dory. But uh, I adore her. I adore her. And uh, you should absolutely buy her book. So uh, I'm glad that we actually had her in. I don't think she, she's never been on the podcast no, before. No, she hasn't. So, and they also have a separate podcast because they're going through IVF right now called yes. Matt and Dory's Excellent Adventure. And uh, they're over two dozen episodes in, I yeah. believe. And uh, it's just a, been about the process for them. And uh, they're fantastic. Fantastic. What a great couple. So I'm glad we got to have, I'm glad we got to have her on. And then uh, old tag along Matt, and it almost kind of felt like a hoseful. The yeah. three of us talking about, talking about stuff. So uh, start up in stores next week, April 25th. Grab it. Pick it up. This episode also brought to you by Casper Obsessively Engineered Mattresses at Shockingly Fair Prices. If you're holding something and you read the prizes, you will be so shocked they will fall out. The things you're holding will fall out of your hands from the shock that will reverberate through your molecules. Uh, it's supportive memory foam. It is award-winning sleep surface that with just the right sink, just the right amount of bounce, you're going to try it. 100 nights free in your own home. 100. If you don't love it, they will pick it up. They will refund you everything because they understand the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit. But I feel like you're not going to want to return it. It would be no, insane. it's so you're comfy. Not gonna you're not going to return it. You're free not shipping, on it. free shipping, and returns to the U.S. and Canada. Over twenty thousand reviews, an average of four point eight stars. It has quickly become the internet's favorite mattress. So, get fifty bucks toward any mattress purchased by visiting Casper.com/nerdist. Use the offer code Nerdist. Terms and conditions apply. Here's the Nerdist podcast number eight sixty five with Dory Shafrir. Now entering Nerdist.com. Our guest on the podcast today is Dor Schaffrier. Am I saying that right? Schaefer, actually. Schaefer. <laughs> <laughs> the bane of your existence. Indeed. It's Dory Schaffrier. Very good. Um, thank you for being here on the podcast. Known as Nerdist, have you, are you familiar with the podcast at all? I've heard it once or twice. <laughs> uh, Dory is married to Matthew mm-hmm. Mira. I answer to both. <laughs> Isn't it nice that that, does that that doesn't happen anymore, does it? It's. I mean, it still happens. Really? Like, I mean, I had like two EPs on the Goldbergs who last second to last day were like said Mira, and I was like, guys, oh, all right, been here for months. <laughs> oh, I had people tell me like how big fans they are of Matt, and then say Mira. Mira. <laughs> it's a name you see. You don't hear the name. You see it. You know. You yeah. see it in print. I'm just glad that Matt finally has the job that matches his aesthetic. He looks like he's always looked like a staff writer with uh-huh. the baseball hat sure. and then the beard for a long time yeah. and the glasses. And he finally had like you finally dress for the job you want, Chris. The jo- that's exactly <laughs> that's what they always say. But we're here to talk about your book, Dory. Startup, a novel, um, which is an incredible accomplishment. It is not fun or easy to write a book. It is certainly not fun or easy when you have to. How were your How were your uh, notes? Did you get notes and edits? Did you have to go through? I did get notes and edits. They weren't They weren't as extensive as I thought 
they were going to be, um, which was like both good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> good in the sense that it was like, oh, okay, well, you think this is like pretty decent already. Yeah. And bad in the sense of like, wait, are you sure? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, like, don't you think this could be so much better? Um, so you were giving them notes on on the notes they gave you. Well, I when I turned in my revision after I did get my notes, my editor was like, "Wow, you really revised this." That's incredible. And I was like, "Yeah, I did." Because <laughs> that's not a fun part of the process. And you know, no, I mean, I actually didn't. The revising part was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, and I had a couple friends at work read it. I mean, I paid them to read it, um, because they were both <laughs> like 27 and I was like, please make sure that I've accurately represented the lives of people in their twenties in my book. Thank you. Gotcha. So a lot of it is just them whining about how they're not rich and famous without actually doing any work. That was the number okay, one good. edit. Yeah. They I just had want to make me. sure yeah. that that's, a whole <laughs> that's pages 19 through 138. But, uh, I don't think you've ever been on the podcast before, have you? This is the first time. This is the first time. So Dory, for anyone listening, although I'm sure you probably know, since you're fans of Matt Mira, is that uh, Dory is married to Matt. Somehow, some sort of uh, charitable uh, chamber of her heart said, I need to take in this stray writer and, and somehow clean him up. And make him uh, very as much cleaner before. (laughs) (laughs) But it was really amazing because when you when you met Matt, he he, there was definitely a positive shift in his personality. And then the first time that I met you, I was like, "Wow, Dory's really cool." Thanks. How did you do that? (laughs) How did you do that? How did you make that on Tinder, bro? Yeah, but it was it was a Tinder success story. It was it was a Tinder success story. which I feel like has given some people false hope. <laughs> like people have been like, "You guys met on Tinder, so I'm going to stay on Tinder." And then like I see them a couple weeks later, and they're like, "Tinder is so depressing." <laughs> You're more the outlier than the example. I, you know, I would I would like to be the example. Like I would love for everyone to find true love on Tinder, but um, I don't know that that is always what happens. I mean, as far as I know, that's how it works. That's exactly how that's it how works. Tw- that's how it. You sign up for Twitter. I signed up Tinder. I meant. That's what I meant. Tinder. Yep. And then immediately you fall in love with the first person you go out with. That was exactly done. Now, I had gone out with a lot of (laughs) non-mats. So a lot of Jonas. What's that? That's only only two types of people I understand. Ooh, do we get to talk about Jonah because he's not here? He's not. Talk about him whenever you want. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I had been dating. I'd moved to LA and I was dating for about a year before I met Matt. I mean, not like all the time, but like. You know, pretty consistently. I was legitimately afraid to really go out, and I never did online date. I never did any of the app dating. I was because I just I'd heard so many horror stories about, you know, it, it all of a sudden just something happening and it turning really bad really fast, or just you never hear from people, or yeah, you just, and and that to me it just it just felt like oh this just feels like a fruitless enterprise. Because I get really, you know, I would get really, oh, I met someone, that's really fun. And then you don't hear, right. what did I do? Like, yeah. I just don't, that doesn't feel good. I mean, it does, yeah. It, it, I think it can bring out the worst in people. All that being said, I never had a horror story. Um, but I had a lot of just like, meh. Right. You know? Like, and then she ended up with, meh, Myra. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> What was, what was something? What what was the thing that you sort of learned from that whole year of online dating? 
Well, I I think I had been in denial about it being a numbers game, and I put that in scare quotes. Um, but there is something to like going out with a bunch of people and you do kind of figure out a little bit more, I think like what you like Mm -hmm. and who you're into and, you know, you would meet people or, you know, I would meet people and I'd be like, Oh, they're like almost if they didn't like have X, Y, Z. And, you know, so that you sort of like start to think in that way a little bit. So what happened? So when, with Matt, what was it? Was it you got, cause I, I know you guys connected right away because Matt said, I met someone on Tinder and I was like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And he goes, no, it was really great. She was really awesome. I mean, he immediately reported That's true. very positively and said, he's like, I don't know. I mean, and he seemed very dumbstruck by them. Like, I don't know what happened, if this is how it's supposed to work, if it's weird, but I met someone and it was great. Yep. Well, his first message to me on Tinder started with I've never done this before like I don't know if I'm doing this right and I rolled my eyes <laughs> and because being <laughs> yeah because like I had gotten tons of messages like that where people right. were like oh I don't know if I'm doing this right and you're just like oh and then you... a dong picture Am yeah I doing this right, right exactly so I was just sort of like oh another guy who's just like Oh, here I am. But then <laughs> I like kind of me though. Oh, yeah. here I am. <laughs> but then I don't know. There was just something about him that made me think. Well, maybe he's like t- telling the truth. Um, and I responded, and then true. The rest is just. I wonder how many left-handed guitars that guy has. Yeah, I bet it's a lot. That was on my checklist. Did I have like... any guitar? There's no good photo of me with a guitar. Uh, there was. There's a picture of you holding a guitar. All right. Oh, the big question is: Did you enjoy Dave Matthews previously <laughs> to dating Matt Myra, and now do you hate Dave Matthews? Um, the... No, I mocked Dave Matthews mercilessly <laughs> before I met Matt. Um, my brother is into Dave Matthews. And I was like, I am too cool for Dave Matthews. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when Matt and I started dating, I remember like very early in our relationship, I was at his house and I saw his like, <laughs> he had gotten like some kind of like special uh, like photo album or something from the oh, warehouse what they had sent me was... for like being in this fan club for 20 years. Oh yeah. He has like <laughs> a low number in the fan club <laughs> too. Was, uh, for... Was it 20? No, it's not 15. 20 okay, will be sorry. It was 15. So, get it right, Dory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what they sent was like they every year they with your membership fee, they send like usually a... Uh, How much do you pay for this? $30 a year. But it lets me get tickets before they go on sale to the public. That's why I've had it since 1998. Okay. Uh, so the warehouse officially launched in January 99. I joined in December Wait, of 98. Chris, you really opened a can of worms. <laughs> I, and that can of worms is... is what, what's your member number? Uh, 2527. 2527. But I don't know. I feel like, it, like I can't be the 2,572nd person to join it. I feel like I have to be earlier than that. Although there was a whole process of like, I want to do this. Mom, I need a credit card. Right. Because mm. I was... Uh, how old was I? 98. 15. Oh my god! Uh, so anyway, to that point, they every year like, and the longer you're in, that you get these swaggier things. So they sent this what looked like a photo album with the Dave Matthews logo on it, Warehouse 15, it said on it, and inside it were all these sleeves for you to stick your ticket stubs in. Sure, and uh, that was sitting on my. And all your table. ticket stubs are in there. <laughs> are you into anything as much as he's into Dave Matthews? 
No, Matt is just <laughs> Matt is a more obsessive person than I am, right? In general, um, and in fact, I think this like bothers him that you're not as you're not obsessive yeah. about stuff. Doesn't I mean? It, it's not that like you not being obsessive bothers me. It's just that I sometimes our cultural touchstones are so like off that mm. I just go like when I was saying that you should be sure to have your pets spayed or neutered. She didn't know the Bob Barker reference? Correct. <laughs> Did- and, then my, and then my sister texted us this morning and was like, the reason Dory doesn't know the Bob Barker reference is because she never faked sick to stay home oh. and watch The Price is Right, whereas she, my sister was like, I did all the time. And then I realized my sister and Matt are both youngest children. Mm. Do, you know who, do you know who really never knew that Bob Barker? Who? The guy whose Doberman bit you. Oh, my God. <laughs> because he was not he should... spayed or neutered. Bob Barker, I bet, would like to have a word with him. Is it ironic that that's a great name for a dog and he was saying, have your pet spayed or Bob neutered? Bob Barker totally. is a great name for a dog. <gasps> that and is that a there's great name no, for a dog. I mean, like, the irony, the... Or I guess that's more of a coincidence. I feel like, and I feel like you'd be a stickler for this sort of thing. I feel like, and I, I make this mistake a lot, people interchange ironic and coincidental. Mm. They'll go, isn't it ironic that his last name is Barker and he talks about dogs? No, that's coincidental. I don't right. know if it's ironic. Is yeah. it ironic or is it coincidental? Wouldn't it be ironic if his last name was Barker and he talked about cats? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. That would be ironic. You know who wouldn't know? Alanis Morissette. Here she is, everyone. (laughs) Um, But I am am so excited for your book because I know – I remember the process. I know you had to sequester yourself. I did. Basically, yeah. was like, oh, Dory had to go to like – She ran to Vegas. Ran to Vegas. killed me inside. Right. Well, because she can go there responsibly. Well, Sure. (laughs) That's true. <laughs> How long were you? What was what? At what point did you feel like you needed to get away and be alone and have to focus? Um, so I started it in January of 2015. Okay. And the first chunk of time that I took to like be alone and focus was that July. I have a friend whose family has a house in Santa Fe who very generously said I could stay at their house um, for two weeks. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, which was awesome. Were they there? No, no. Oh, good. They were like, you may use the house. Like it's the beauty of oil money. Mm, good. We're not there. <laughs> um, and that was the first time that I like really sort of hunkered down. Um, and then I subsequently took trips to – I went to Joshua Tree mm-hmm. for a few days – which I found not – I was not super productive in Joshua Tree, I'll be honest. Because you wanted to stare at nature? You know, I felt, I felt like weirdly lonely there. I was there alone in a cabin, kind of an isolated cabin. It, it was a little creepy. Oh, yeah. You know? Like I kind—I was like, ooh, this would be a good place to be with a friend. Right. It definitely, <laughs> when I think of Joshua Tree, I think of Snoopy's like ratty uncle or whatever. Who was that, that one sort of scraggly Snoopy dog? Who he pops up every once in a while, oh, yeah. and you're like, he lives in Joshua Tree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Katie, can you find any information on this dog that I hope is not a phantom uh, dog that I, I don't uh, remember this at all? So Snoopy has like an uncle or a cousin. Oh, yeah, Scrappy. No, you're thinking of Scooby Doo. Snoopy. Oh, Snoop. I heard Scooby. No. Um, yeah, so that was like, and you know, I think I'd been seduced by people's pictures on Instagram. Sure. Because they were always posting these like very beautiful, bright, nature-filled, sunsetty, dream catcher pictures of Joshua Tree. Bono and I was, was right. You know, <laughs> Joshua Tree is just where it's at. Oh, did you find it? 
Yeah, it's the one with the little that mustache. One? Oh, that guy. Yeah. It has their names, Andy, Marbles, Olaf, and Spike. Might be Spike. I'm not 100% Sounds sure. Sounds like an Olaf, though, really. Right. Could it be an Olaf, say, too. I think it's Spike. I think you're right. Yep. Um, but then I spent four days in Vegas and was very productive there. <laughs> Did you? But you don't, cause you don't really gamble, do you? I play blackjack. You do? I do, yeah. How does it not... I couldn't play after I quit drinking because I just became acutely aware oh. of how many times the house was winning. Yeah. Even oh, though you were sure. playing, the, playing the odds. Right. You know? Yeah, I, I guess I'm, like, pretty good at cutting myself off. And I would, I play, I, I would, like, work most of the day. I would, you know, eat something, maybe go to the gym. I would sit by the pool and work. It's great. And then at night I would play blackjack for like two or three hours. You may have been the only person writing a book at the at the at that Vegas pool. I think I was. Well who is it? Doesn't someone also doesn't someone run off to Vegas all the time? Yeah, I actually have a couple of friends who are writers who like novelists who are who also love writing in Vegas. That's really interesting. It's almost it's almost the it's almost the creative equivalent of leaving the TV on to fall asleep. Yeah. It's like yeah. There, there's it's funny that Joshua Tree was too much of a vacuum and Vegas totally. was like the I mean the literal opposite in every yes. way. Yes. Although both are equally isolating. And in a desert, yeah. And in yeah. a desert. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. There is this sort of like ambient noise on all the time. And also like if you want to see people at any time, they are there. There they are. Yeah. It's almost like a you're almost like using the energy of and then trying to filter it totally. in this book. So let's go back a ways. So that people can kind of get to know you and your backstory. This person who has been such a a part of the Nerdist family that, that the audience <laughs> knows so little about at this point. So uh, you are also from Massachusetts? I am. I'm from Brookline, Massachusetts, right, right. outside of Boston. And what is the what is the what's the sort of uh, what is the vibe of Brookline? Is it fancy? Is it it is fancy. Yeah. It's I, Matt thinks it's fancier than it is. Because I'm from Lowell. We're from it other, has we're the word the, low in it. We're from That's the other true. side. We're from opposite sides of the track. I mean, at least when I was growing up, it was very like mixed socioeconomically. Um, now, so hundred millionaires and just millionaires. <laughs> no, there were like housing projects, and there was rent control there, which no longer exists there. So, like, there were people there who were living in, like very cheap apartments. And, okay. Um, I think they did away with rent control, so that doesn't exist anymore, and now it's, like, super expensive to live but there. But it's, like, the people who are from Brookline, uh, the Kennedys, uh, Conan, Hodgman. Uh, got it. Those Michael the, Dukakis. Michael got Dukakis. It. Got it, got it. So when you were – did you always want to be a writer? What was – what were you – I always wanted to be a writer. I think I, I always wanted to be – I thought I always wanted to be a journalist, and, in fact, and I am were. a journalist. Yeah, and you yeah. are. Um, but I was always reading and writing as a kid. Um always reading like always had books on my bed that i was just reading all the time and were you a social kid (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i was a social kid like i had a lot of friends um but i was also like deeply into books so at what point did you where'd you go to college i went to penn you went to penn philadelphia Mm -hmm. and majored in english and history you majored in english and history Mm -hmm. so when did BuzzFeed were you on were you on the butt cuz you worked for BuzzFeed for since I feel like since the beginning um since like uh, they hired a lot of people who do journalism mm-hmm. um i started there in february 2012 so yeah Holy it's been shit. it's been like are almost you, five are you still years. there did you just take I'm, a break no i'm still there yeah 
Oh, my God. I took a couple months off to finish the book. Um, but I am still there. I went back. So what do you think about – you know, BuzzFeed is such an interesting animal because it permeates so much digital culture and and part of it – I mean, like it, it really is seeming to become like a real news source. But I think people still – I mean, we make fun of it on At Midnight all the time and the sort of like listicles, yeah, totally. top 10 Disney princesses that look like eggs or whatever, you know. Oh. And so <laughs> – well, So – you know, I am I would really love to – and then we'll get into startup. But I really love to hear how BuzzFeed evolved and what yeah. was the mission statement and did it stay on course or did you feel like, oh, you know, we kind of – She also worked at Gawker. Did you really? I did. You worked at Gawker? Yeah. What was that? Because that's a – Gawker was sort of a weird – The early days of Gawker. When they were just like fucking people over? Yeah. I mean it was – well, <laughs> I mean it, it – you know, like that kind of – Listen, that – no, I mean I hope – I don't mean to – I don't hope this doesn't come off negatively. But that was sort of the – I think kind of the birth of clickbait journalism in a way. Gawker, like you won't believe what this person did, you know? Don't you think? Um, I don't know. I mean I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but – I think at least in its beginnings, Gawker was so obsessed with just chronicling the lives of a very uh, particular corner of the world, which was like Manhattan and media. And then it expanded, you know, after a few years. But in its like origins, it was a kind of, it was a snarky media blog. But didn't – yeah, didn't they – but did they not go out of their way to – like dig up stuff and throw it out there oh, and totally. try to, and try to start, you know. Yeah, and they also did um they had this feature called Gawker Stalker where people would send in celebrity sightings. I remember they started before people had smartphones. So there wasn't and they started before TMZ. Like they started before a lot of the things that we kind of like take for granted right. in this celebrity culture world. And so at the time, Gawker Stalker was like very controversial. It was like you know, people could not believe that Gawker was saying, you know, I spotted I, I, I'm I'm at such and such restaurant and John Travolta is here or whatever. And they right. would text it to someone at Gawker. And right. We would you know, someone would post it. Um, of course, now it's like if you're on Instagram, you know, like it's just so different now. Right. So it's just funny to think like what was scandalous at the time. But it's interesting that that was. That really accelerated the speed of tabloid sto- – of that, that sort of tabloid section of our culture. You know, when before, you know, I'm sure it had to roll in. Maybe there was a tip line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now it's totally. just like it's coming at the yeah. speed of – Yeah, for sure. And then – so I started there in like fall of 2006. Wow. And TMZ had just launched the year before. And they – I think they really took a lot of like – Gawker's thunder when it came to celebrity stuff because Gawker just couldn't compete right. with TMZ's resources. Um, but yeah, when I was there, my coworker Emily went on CNN, and for some reason, I think it was supposed it was to be Kimmel. Larry King, but Kimmel was subbing for him, and he like ripped into her about Gawker stock. I remember that still on the internet. It I is, remember that, yeah, and I seem to remember. She didn't really have an answer no, for. No, she. I mean, she had started like two weeks earlier, <laughs> oh, no. and she was twenty four and right. like had had no training and wasn't expecting this at all, and you know was having to answer for this whole 
apparatus that she had not really right. started. Um, but it was like hugely embarrassing for her. Um, and Kimmel was like, like you could tell he was like legitimately angry about it. Right. Because part, if I remember correctly, it wasn't some of his argument is like you're putting people's lives in yeah. danger yeah. by telling people where they are. Yes. And, you know, like, so, yeah, I, I, I guess I do understand that argument. Totally. But also hearing that she had only just started there and was sort yeah. of like. And she wasn't even supposed to do it. Someone else was supposed to do it. And then at the last minute, like they were sick or something. And, and our boss was like, Emily, can you just do this TV hit? <laughs> It'll come and go. Yeah, exactly. You'll never. Right. And she was like, okay. And then, of course. 11 years later. Yeah. It's, it's still, like it's the still, thing. It's still, it's still on the on the Yeah. So how did that affect what was going on over there at that time? Did that strengthen the resolve of Gawker? Or did it, did, did it kind of make, did, was there any was there any voice there going, hey, maybe this is not the best thing to be doing? Um, no. What was your, what was your, <laughs> what was your thought process? Well, I was covering media. Like, I wasn't doing Gawker Stalker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, this is kind of like a fun feature. I was so outside of, like, the celebrity world gotcha. at all that it... And also, to, like, I understood Kimmel's point. At the time, to me, it seemed harmless, in part because usually it was not real time. Like, there had been a couple times when it was pretty quick, but usually there was a delay. Right. Um, and, yeah. And, and, again, it's just, like, so funny to think about now, like – you know, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, like fans are so in tune with where their people are at all times. Right. Um, that, you know, the idea that Gawker Stalker was the only place you could go to like find out where someone was is like kind of crazy now. I mean, I guess, yeah, now it really is the responsibility of, you know, it's your responsibility as a public figure to. If you don't want someone to know where you are, don't post it on Instagram right. when you're there. Yeah. <laughs> like, Maybe wait, don't geotag it. Wait a day. <laughs> yeah. Wait a couple hours until you've gone someplace else. Exactly. Yeah, but at the time, I think it was probably just more about people not really having a choice about it. And totally. Like, Shit. Totally. It's, but, but, and, and it also gets really tricky. Where it gets really mucked up is that, you know, the Kardashian types of the world who are feeding mm-hmm. – Pre- you know, like I'm going to be at Kitson, at, right. you know, on Robertson. Totally, they want to be in. <laughs> like they w- so it just all gets kind of muddled up because yeah. I think, you know, the people who there are people who really want it, and then I think there are people who start the machine and then kind of regret turning it on. Right. And then there are other people who just don't want the machine, but because they're in the thing, it's like, well, sorry, this machine's already been started. Yeah. And if you want to do this, you got to be a part of this totally. thing, and that's kind of how it is. Yeah. But what were you covering in media specifically? I was covering like media gossip. Gotcha. Um, so it was very niche. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the time was something that was like very important to Gawker. Um, but Gawker was like was always very contrarian. So something like the Kimmel thing was just going to like they were just going to double down. Sure. You know, that was no one there was going to be like, oh, he really got us. Right. You know, um, tell how Culkin came along. Well, yeah, but I mean, even with that, you saw, obviously I was long gone at that point. But um, you know, even with that, like they thought they were going to win, right? Pretty much until the very end, um, and that was just sort of, I think, like emblematic of the way they thought about things, right? So, so it was a very insulated way of 
you know, like we're so up our own butts, who's going to stop us? Because we're, you know, we well, have. It was more that they they saw themselves as like the underdogs speaking truth to power, even when they were not the underdogs anymore. Right. Which is like a dangerous place to be. Well, you know, that's interesting that you say that because I think I think a lot of where we've come as a culture is, you know, it's 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 all just shouting and you know, even I find that even the even people who speak out like against bullying are kind of become bullies. You know, there's yeah. a, there's a lot, and you go, yeah, you know, you're you're just shouting at people and telling them to go fuck themselves. Right. I know, but I'm justified. Well, that's what bullies think. <laughs> bullies yeah. always think they're justified. Yeah, totally. So, you know, it, it, in this age where everyone's just sort of shouting at each other, how do we have conversations anymore? And and is it wrong to want a digital experience? I mean, like, am I expecting? Am I expecting a shark to walk on land? You know what I mean? Am I expecting something that isn't possible? What, that isn't what it is. But yeah. it just seems like it, everything's so elevated and the attention yeah. getting. It's like, well, when you shout, you get attention yeah. and people pay attention. And so why would it occur to anyone to have a conversation if you don't, you know? I just wonder how I, it's something I think about all the time. How much do people really want to solve problems and how much do they just want to shout because it feels good to yell and yeah. take the moral high ground on I stuff? don't know. It's hard to tell because sometimes the people who are just shouting think that like they genuinely think they are solving problems. Right. So. Are you super involved with social media or do you, um, are, you are you sort of lightly involved? I, I'm like moderate. I would call myself moderately involved. Like I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Pretty. Those are those are kind of my big three. Like I dabbled in Snapchat, and I think I'm just too old. Like my friends were not really using it. I did not find it that interesting. I. It was like I had to like remind myself, like, oh, you should post something on Snapchat. It wasn't something that I was doing organically, and so I still have it on my phone, but I like almost never use it. Yeah. Um. But I I really like Instagram. Like Instagram is probably my favorite social network. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like. I think the community on there is nicer. Um, I like that it's just pretty much just photos. I like Instagram stories. Like I I really like Instagram. Twitter like is Twitter. You know, right. <laughs> it's like it can be real shitty. Um, I try not to get in fights with people. Um, and I don't like I don't typically write stuff that gets me trolled, except there have been a couple times um, where people I don't remember what was that thing that I was writing about where Little Miss Righty came after me. I don't even remember oh, what it was. I don't. Oh, was it your? interview with um oh with lindy west lindy west that's right yeah Yeah, there's this um there's this feminist writer named lindy west who used to write a jezebel and she writes a lot about like um body positivity and fat shaming and she's she's taken on trolls and this guy this horrible story where this guy was had impersonated her dead dad Oh my God! I remember. Do you I think remember I remember this? this. Yeah, and she did a This American Life episode about it, and because she ended up confronting him, and then he like he crumbled. Yes, right? he and apologized. Like, I'm sorry. Yes. I was having a weird. Yes. yes. So anyway, so she wrote a book last year that's really great called Shrill. It's a book of essays, and I'd interviewed her for BuzzFeed. She has a lot of people who hate her, and so people were like tweeting insane things at me because I'd interviewed her. 
um, including uh, someone with the handle at Lil Miss Righty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that was like that was one of the few times that people have like really yeah. Come I think they were me. upset about in the piece that you didn't mention that she blocked some people oh yeah because she had this she was saying all this stuff about how like sometimes it's okay to engage with trolls and you know because she did that with Mm -hmm. the guy who's impersonating her dad um and then people were like but she blocks people and they kind of like lost their minds about that that was the thing they picked up on in the article what's wrong with blocking people i don't they think that if you Say that you confront trolls, then you shouldn't be allowed to block anybody. anyone. That you should that you should therefore have to engage with every so single no, troll. There's no, there's middle, no ground. middle ground. It's just no. all right. or nothing. Yes. Well, I think that's just something that they just want to get mad at some point. Oh, yeah, a hundred percent. But it was going for it was going it went for, for a couple two or three days. days. It was crazy. It was the it was other than when I got into it after Brexit, uh, it was the most <laughs> trolly of of Twitter experiences I had seen. Yeah, but I think, you know, this idea of just saying the absolute worst thing you can just to get someone's attention or just to try to rattle someone. I mean, it's, you know, you'd think I would have thicker skin after being, I mean, after having been on the Internet since 1993. Mm -hmm. And I think I still just feel, I I feel bad because people go, why does it affect you? And I go, well, I'm not a fucking sociopath. Right. You know, I'm a human being. Totally. And I still, my brain formed in a world where when you said something to someone, you had to be accountable for it. Yeah. And so when you say something to someone, you mean it. I think a lot of people now they go, oh, it's just the internet. It doesn't really mean right. anything. Like, well, but, the, but it kind of does mean something. Right. And, you know, if I, I feel like I would be – I feel like I would be an empty shell of a person if nothing ever, if nothing ever affected me. Totally. But I just feel bad for humanity. I feel bad. Like, why would you think – because when, when my dad died, someone came after me and were – like literally the day of his funeral Jesus. were just like making – uh, ha ha! Did you get a call from your dad today? Oh my oh, god! Oh, he's dead! You know, like that. And I was so, like, I felt like I got punched in the yeah, chest. Yeah, of course. And, and it's not even directly because of what they're saying, but it was more the sadness for humanity of like, why yeah. would you ever right. think that was an accept? What is so wrong in your life? That exactly. You, what series of events has occurred that make you think exactly. that it's okay to treat another human being that way? And that was literally one of the only times where I was like, I'm going to offer the internet $25,000 to tell me who this person is and I'm going to fly and I'm going to, you know, like, I I can't fight. So I don't know what I thought I was going right. to do, but it was just that like, I'm, you motherfucker, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I ended up just blocking the person and not yeah. engaging them because there was no point to it. But, right. but I do, I do wonder, and I'd love to hear your take on the idea of uh, outrage peddling in the sense of. You know, I, I, it, it seems to me, and, and, and I mentioned it a few times on the podcast, and no one ever really talks about it, but I think it's a real social epidemic that is being driven by the news media mm-hmm. of spotting something. Oh, some people got upset about this. You know, we have to we have to post fifty articles a day. Let's post a news story about how someone was offended by something they heard or saw. And then we'll just – and it's always the same thing. You know, outrage. Outrage always in the right. title. Probably drives traffic. And then it's five example tweets. And then, you know, no word back yet. And then the comment threads are always filled with – and I just feel like it's it's not – no one ever calls the news media after. Like it's it's not – and it's not a, a altruism that you're telling people about this just to try to make the world a better place. Right. You are for commercial reasons – making people upset 
so that they will come to your site and and generating a thing that is would have not really bothered anyone if it just sort of went away. Do you agree with that or do you think that's not the right way to look at it? Um, I don't totally agree with that. I think I think it's complicated. Um, I think one of the things about some of the outrage on the internet is that the people who are outraged are people who typically have not had a voice right. in the world, like people of color and women and gay people. And so sometimes they are outraged about things that they were probably like really pissed off about before. They just didn't have a way of expressing it. Well, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about things that are important to humanity. I'm talking about I, I feel like I see the word outrage a million times a day on my Google News feed. Right. So it's and, kind of lost its power. And I well, I just feel like it's a tactic. It's 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 a clickbait tactic now more than it is this is this is going to make society a better place because the articles never say anything about well, how do we move forward from here or how mm. do we gain an understanding or if someone did say something really stupid instead of trying to destroy them what if we found out what did they mean it? Did they not mean it? Are they really a fucking dick? Right. Should we, you know, it's like it always just like outrage to destruction. And then, and I feel like the, it's we're losing the conversation in the midst. But I really, so I, I just Googled outrage and then went to news to see what, what we could come up with. <laughs> Here's my first one that came up viewers are outraged. That Channel 5 chose to air graphic Watership Down on Easter Sunday. Okay. This is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Because this is not a, hum- this is not a, human's right- this is not a human rights issue, uh-huh. which I think people should be outraged over human rights issues. Uh-huh. This is a ridiculous thing. There are probably tweets in there of people who... Oh, there's, this is full of tweets. Yeah. So here's the first tweet. It's from someone named Louise Westy. This, has, this tweet has one favorite. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, who the hell puts Watership down on Easter Sunday? That's their first example. Channel 5 are absolutely savage showing Watership down on Easter savage! Sunday. Savage! That's one way to get trending, I guess. So far, for Easter Sunday, they're showing Watership down. Did they watch the movie first, or did they see bunnies and thought, for kids? <laughs> oh, God. I mean, that's kind of fun. A happy Easter to all. <laughs> Just remember, though, Watership down is not an Easter movie. So, so this is sort of what I'm talking about is the controversial decision which angered viewers last year uh, has once again caused a furor on Twitter. Well, I think one of the problems is that so many sites now have someone whose job is social news. Like this is a job to look on social media and like see what people are talking about and that is a thing that gets reported on and then it kind of creates its own cycle like more people find out about it because you're writing about it, and then more people are tweeting about it, so it becomes more of a thing. Um, so, like, the what's that expression? Like, the something's eating its tail. The snake is eating yeah, its tail? Yeah, the snake is eating its tail a yeah. little bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't – I agree that there's probably a lot of those articles that don't need to get written. Right. I mean, it's not – like, that's not saving anyone's life. No. You know what I mean? Like, that's not – so that's why I want to make the clear distinction between what you were talking about, which, again, I believe are human rights issues. And, yes, the Internet has given a lot of people a voice that didn't have a voice before versus, you know, we should tear – we should take down Channel 5 for airing Watership Down 
you know? Right. And and I feel like there's no distinction between what's really um, vital and it just all goes in the same bin. Yeah, you know? I think – I mean I think that's the problem is like like the word outrage has just lost all meaning. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that's true. And how long were you at Gawker? I was at Gawker for 10 months. It felt like longer. <laughs> um, because it was at the time, it was very much like, you know, you had to do, I had to do six posts a day. Um, it Jesus. was like very kind of like machiney. I was, I worked from home most of the time and I was like chained to my desk essentially. Um, and it was a lot of aggregation at the time. Like I did some original reporting, but it was mostly like reporting on what, just writing about what someone else had already written. And so that was like kind of boring. Yeah. News aggregation is, yeah. Yeah. I remember that's, how, that's what Nerdist was in the beginning was really yeah. just kind of, because it's, you just need content. So exactly. you're aggregating news, but then you're sourcing it back. Exactly. You know, I was making sure to source it back. Because there's just only so many original stories you can right. write in a day because there are totally. just only so many hours in totally. the day. And then the other thing that like really got draining and was kind of why I couldn't even stay for a year there was because um, everything had to have kind of a snarky or negative take. Yeah. Like you couldn't be really excited about anything. Right. And that got to be like, I was like, this is not really me. Like I felt like I was sort of adopting this persona of a gawker writer um and that was exhausting yeah that's the other thing too is that that, like this tone of negativity has somehow become the authentic Mm -hmm. and the thing that irritates me about it is that i don't think it's authentic anymore and and when you try to call people out for it they go oh i guess you just can't handle truth and it's like (laughs) no but this is their brand right they're just staying on brand I, whether or not they mean that, I don't know, but it yeah. feels like they're just, they've just, this particular site has just fallen into its groove and they know that their audience likes to see that kind of snark. And so I don't know if it's authentic anymore. I, I don't think it's any more or less authentic than if they were excited about something. Totally. I think they should just be authentically excited or authentically not excited about things. Right, right. So that was something that was like, I didn't go straight from Gawker to BuzzFeed. I had a bunch of jobs in between, but. Like when I got to BuzzFeed, it was very refreshing because they are not haters. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, you could be enthusiastic about things. You were rewarded for being enthusiastic about things. So that was a nice change. What was the mission statement at BuzzFeed when you started? Because now it's like it's such a behemoth. God, the mission statement when I started, I don't remember, but I do remember that. In our job postings, we said no haters, uh-huh. and we got a lot of shit for that. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's ironic. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, because we weren't interested in hiring people who just had a knee-jerk negative reaction to everything. Like, we wanted people who were enthusiastic and passionate about stuff, um, and I believe it was actually Gawker who made fun of us for this. Uh, aspect of our job postings. I don't think the job postings say that anymore, but they did for a while. Yeah. And so how did it grow so exponentially in such a short amount of time? Well, the short answer is money. Um, But when I started there, they had just gotten, I think it was like $15 million of venture capital funding. And I think it was, that was like their second 
or third round. But of, for what? You know, because I to think... To build a news operation. To build a news operation. Because yeah. it, it's so... I, you know, I, a lot of times when I see like a, some sort of a digital enterprise, mm-hmm. and I go, well, they've raised $70 million. And I was like, I feel like, but for what? I mean, like if you really look under the hood, what is it? Is it, is it just brand valuation or is it like... Because I can't imagine you can do seventy million dollars in banner ads. Like maybe right. you can, <laughs> you know. But like, so what? So what is it that's really being? Uh, what is it that's really being sold? So before, like in the period before I started, BuzzFeed didn't have that much original reporting. It was basically just like, here's what's cool on the internet right now, and like what's trending on the internet, and right. that was mostly and they did some like funny posts and vi- they were ex- they were like starting to experiment with viral stuff and <laughs> see how people shared stuff um and then Jonah Preddy decided that he wanted to do he wanted to start an original journalism operation um and so he hired Ben Smith who mm-hmm. is editor in chief of BuzzFeed News now and Ben hired me and we hired a whole bunch of people to do journalism and it just kept growing and growing. And like every few months there would be a new initiative. Like we're going to hire foreign correspondents and we're going to start a business desk. And we're like, and every time I was like, wow, surely this will be the last thing that we do. (laughs) (laughs) And every time I was like, nope, like we're going to keep going. Um, And that is like kind of still true. Like it slowed down a little bit, but now there's over 1,500 people who work That's at BuzzFeed. That's insane. How did it what, – what was the sort of – what do you think was the secret to the success? Um, I think that they – we understood the internet better than a lot of other sites did and had a lot of people who had kind of grown up on the internet working for us. Like we hired a lot of people in their 20s to just make stuff. Mm-hmm. And put a lot of trust in them where I think other sites did not, at least initially. Sure. Um, I think Jonah also like very early on understood the power of Facebook in particular um, to drive traffic. Sure. And and he also like has a deep understanding of why people share things um, and – kind of tried to steer people in the direction of making stuff that people would share. And so that was like huge and made us so big. And then I think another thing is we started like going into markets that our competitors had not gone into. We started doing a lot of Spanish language content. Like I just feel like Jonah has always kind of pushed the boundaries. And then he was also one of the first publishers to say like, you know what? People aren't going to be going to like www.buzzfeed.com that much anymore. Like they're going to be getting BuzzFeed content on Snapchat. They're going to be getting BuzzFeed content on Facebook videos, on YouTube, on like all these other platforms. And so he was like one of, I think, one of the early people to recognize that and built out teams to do that. Um, he And he also like got that video was going to be huge, like very early. Oh, wow. Because I wonder if there's still, I mean, do you think they sort of wince a little bit when people are like, oh, the listicle site. And they're like, oh, we actually do a lot of stuff. You know, I, we were like pretty sensitive about that at first. Like when we had started the news operation, I would say for the first year or two, like when we were publishing like these really, you know, deep, like long stories and people would just be like, oh, they're the cat video site. <laughs> um, but now it's sort of like... We almost, I, I think, 
you know, I don't want to speak for everyone there, but at least for me, I'm sort of like, oh, that's sad for you that you think that's all that we do. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So what was the what was the motivation to write a book about startup? So when I started writing the book, I was I'm I'm currently uh, I'm a full time writer at BuzzFeed now. But at the time, I was editing and managing people. I wasn't I was hardly writing at all, and I really missed writing. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start my own project. It's just going to be my own thing. It's not going to have anything to do with BuzzFeed. And you know if it. If no one, if it never sees the light of day, you know, if no one ever sees it, then fine, whatever. Those are usually the best projects <laughs> because those are the ones that you're passionate about. Totally. Um, so it was like the end of December 2014. I was writing my New Year's resolutions and I was like, I'm going to write every day for a month just in the morning and I'm just going to like see what happens. <laughs> Your own personal NaNoWriMo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like um, if you ever read The Artist's Way, like right. she, you know, she says to do morning pages and I didn't write in like longhand, but um, I did wake up every morning and like sit down and write. And at the end of the month, I had 60 pages and I was like, whoa, like how'd that happen? Um, and then I showed it to, I showed it to a friend and I showed it to my agent and they were both like, oh, you should keep going with this. And I was like, really? You sure? <laughs> um, and yeah, and they liked it. And so it just kind of like snowballed from there. That's fantastic. Thank you. I mean, that really is just, I mean, that's why, I mean, I was being sincere when I said those are the, usually the best ideas because they're the ones that you, you know, especially if you think you're just doing something for yourself, then you don't ever think about what's everyone going to say? Totally. They're going to say, you just do it because you like it. And then before you know it, you're so passionate about it that it just absorbs a lot of your time and energy more than if, you know, if you're punching a clock somewhere where you're like, I gotta go work for those people and then I gotta do that job over there. But right. then I come home and then I get to do the thing I really, really, really yeah. want to do. Yeah. So that was, I mean, that was definitely like the genesis of it. Um, and then like once I got 100 pages in, I was like, okay, I got to finish this thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's too far. It's tipped. Exactly. Yeah. It's I did feel point. like I'd like reached this tipping point. Um Are you are you are you eager to do another book anytime soon or did this Yeah, I mean, I would love to do another book. Um like I just feel like the last few months have been crazy and now I'm just so focused on getting this book out that I haven't really started to think about another book, but I would like to write another book. Are you going to adapt this book into a television show or an, or a um, movie? I mean, I would love to. I, th I, I am obviously the most biased person to say this, but I think it would make a great TV show. Um, and Matt agrees. I agree. <laughs> I agree. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very, it's very page turnery. It's very, um, it's just every character is fleshed out in a way where you're like, oh, I know who this person is, or I know a person like this, or, you know, everyone is sort of relatable. Were you sharing this existing. with him along the way? I wouldn't read it. I was like, eh, I, when you're done is when I'll read it. Okay. Also, he was afraid it would be bad. Well, <laughs> no, was a little bit. Seriously, of he, he was. He, he was afraid that he was going to have to be like, "Honey, it's great." Yes. Yeah. There's a little of that. There was also a little bit of like, I, you know, I write drafts of things, and I, they're awful, and I know that, and I just, you know, when you get it to a place where you're like, "This is the book," then uh, I would read it. But, but then you didn't. Not before then. It yeah, it took me quite a while. But when I finally cracked it open, the galley, um, I. 
it's it just like it's, it's so quick so quick that's the only book I've read in the last six months <laughs> that's true um, over and over and over again yeah. oh Chris I can't put it down <laughs> How's the uh, how's the excellent adventure podcast going? How's the excellent adventure? Um, the podcast is going great. The you know we've been doing it every week. I think we've done twenty six episodes. Yeah, we've done twenty six weeks of us talking about trying to have a child through science um, and hearing from a lot of other people who are doing it in in different ways. Uh, you know, it's fascinating. You don't think about, you know, when you hear IVF, you usually probably just think, oh, that's when there's some infertility between a couple. You know, you never think about the other sides of it where it could be, you know, two uh, married uh, men that want to have a child, married women that want to have a child, a single man that wants to have a child, a single woman that wants to have a child on her own. And you never really think about all these other people that have to walk through these same hallways as you trying desperately because you just want uh, another being to care for. It's uh, it's really... So that part of the podcast, I think, has been the most interesting to me. Is there a certain... Like, what has been the... What, was there a, date, a debate between, like, well, should we adopt or really go through this whole process? You know, because I'm sure... I'm sure it must be hard on you. I mean, I'm sure it must be physically hard. Oh, yeah. It's, um... You ha- you know you have to inject yourself with drugs for two weeks like hormonal drugs so they kind of make you crazy and then they retrieve eggs from you which is surgery essentially like you go under oh, wow. um, and then you have to wait and see like how many of them fertilize and then how many of them are growing and there's just a lot of waiting involved in IVF mm-hmm. um, and then even once you have embryos then there's like a whole other step to transfer them. Um, and then sometimes that doesn't work. Like we did a transfer that didn't work. So now we're kind of back to, we're not back to square one exactly. We're back to like square three or something. Um, because we have two embryos that are like ready to go. Mm -hmm. But because my book stuff is all happening. My doctor was like, I think we should wait till after the book comes out. Because it's hard, you know, stress affects our body. And, and also travel, like, you're yeah. not supposed to be traveling, especially through different time zones. Oh, so don't go on a book tour right after? Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, like, basically, I'm about to embark on all the things that you should not be doing when trying to do IVF. So she, my doctor was just like, we'll just wait till we're kind, of, we're kind of past that. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard, too, when you're the husband. You feel so, you just, I have, like, I'm so helpless. I don't have to do all I all I do is jerk off in a room. It's like literally it. I'm glad I got to picture literally that. All, well, like you haven't before, Chris. Well, how do you think I jerk <laughs> off? <laughs> I'm not even trying to make a baby. <laughs> I just you got the pouring water. Oh, I just it. think about Matt with his jeans down on his Converse oh, and that Red Sox hat. <laughs> I have Converse. I don't. I'm not Air oh, Force boy. Ones, bro. Okay. <laughs> this is getting uh, weird. So, do, yeah, do but you jerk like, off into a red pair of socks. <laughs> I probably have at some point. Um. I, you know, it's uh, so like that's all the male has to do. So really, it's just like you have to be aware of everything that she's going through just so you can sort of at least uh, put yourself in a headspace where like we're in this together. And like, I know that you have to do this. So whenever I could be home to inject her, I would come home and help her with the injections. And it's just it's so hard too. and then like when you're working a lot, like I was working on the Goldberg. So I was 
It was tough. Like the day that we found out that the transfer didn't work, I was sitting around a fucking writer's table just like, you know, getting the news as we were working through lunch. Right. To figure out how to make Jeff Garland funny. Right. Is the kidding, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) So the the short side of it is that it's really been hardest on you, Matt. No, No, I'm saying if that's what it came off as, uh, I didn't mean for that to be how it was. I'm just teasing. Like she has to go through all this. I I think it's crazy. I I understand what you mean from the point of the person that you love more than anyone else in the world is is having a difficult time and you can't really do anything to help. Yeah. So what is something, you know, what what did you guys establish in terms of, and maybe this is for other people who are going for IVF, but what is something that a mate can do who is not the one who's going through the whole process? Like, what is the best way the significant other can be supportive? Um, I think, like, patience (laughs) is really important because, you know, you, when you're, when you're doing it, you are, you're already feeling, like, anxious and sensitive in general and then the all the hormones that you're putting in your body like make you even more anxious and sensitive so you know if i say something that in a normal world like that would be like like upset about or something just him not kind of like rising to the bait i guess does that make sense yeah i didn't yeah like he was all he was a very like calming influence Matt? Yes. Myra. <laughs> yes. This Matt Myra? Yes. He's he's very good at calming me down. He is. He Matt Matt's yeah. a, Matt, Matt Matt's a rock. Yeah. I, you know, I'm here to bounce, you know. I got I'm just your sounding board. Both of you guys, you know. <laughs> um and also like showing up. Like even though Matt was especially the last round, he he was super busy at work, but he you know, he he would talk to his boss and say, you know, my wife has an appointment at 11 a.m., like not the most convenient time for him to leave the writer's room. Um, but he would and come to the appointment with me. And so that was like that meant a lot to me that he was like really making an effort to show up. Also helped that it's very close to Sony. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> I mean, let's be realistic about Los Angeles and how things work. I mean, if it was in the Valley, you might have been on your own. Oh, yeah. That's no. going to be an no. extra hour Culver out of my city day. to the Valley at that hour? Oh, I mean, it's impossible. I can't even, even imagine. I mean, there's no public transportation system that's good here. I don't know it's, how you would do it. It's it would, insane. It would be a real You'd have adventure. to have a helicopter. Even like the 45 seconds you have to be on the 405 in Culver to get from uh, my place of work to our clinic. It was real real roll of the dice. Yeah. Every time. It would just be like, what the fuck am I going to hit? Hey, this is sort of a personal question, but I think a very good one for people who are also going through this, but how do you keep the romance part around sex when... They don't. (laughs) I mean, it's like... No, it's 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 also Bo has not helped our dog with that part. We got Bo right. Did we get Bo like yeah. right when we started doing IVF? Yeah, it's been a it's been an issue. It's been a it's a I could not tell you how to keep. It. I love my wife dearly, and we're very affectionate towards each other. But like, it's just so stressful for both of us. And you're not allowed to have sex. And you can't have sex in a cycle. And a cycle lasts weeks. So yeah. it's just it it it's. So do you have advice for people who are going through it? Like how to stay sane through the whole process? 
Um, I think talking about it, like talking about it has really helped me okay. being open about it. You mean doing the podcast? Doing the podcast, but also just in general, like with friends, even before we started the podcast, I had started to be open about it on social media and so many people reached out to me who I had no idea had gone through IVF. Like not people I was super close with, but people who I was like friendly with. Yeah. Um, who I like knew obviously had kids and they were like, oh, you know, I did IVF for Tommy or whatever. Um, And that was like, that was a real eye opener for me because I realized how secretive the process is for so many people. And I think that makes people feel really isolated. And it just helps demystify the process. Totally. Yeah. I mean, when I would talk about it at like, or at the poker, at poker, it would turn out like half the table were going to the same. That was actually, that was the thing that it like, I think that was the thing that inspired me to be more open about it was Matt talking about it at poker <laughs> because he would like text me and be like, Hey, like, you know, this guy's wife is, is going to the, to our clinic and you know, this guy's wife is going through it too. And this guy, and I was like, Whoa, that's like, there's only seven or eight people at this nine. table. A table of nine. A table of nine. <laughs> and like four of them are going through IVF. Um, so yeah. So that has been like a relief for me to just sort of feel like, I don't because the first round I wasn't talking about it with anyone and it felt like a burden. Sure. Well, that and now we're talking about social media being used for a positive cause, indeed, which is to <laughs> help people feel not alone, to yeah. actually connect people, to totally. actually create conversation, and and uh, and I think it is. And I, whenever someone is open about a struggle that they're going through, I always think it's. I always feel like, well, that's the right thing to do because you know that it may be hard, but you know that other people who you know, don't have, you know, like you said, who don't have a voice or don't yeah. have, maybe don't have a, an understanding circle of friends. Exactly. Allows them to go, oh my God, I'm not alone or right. crazy or, or I feel that too. I mean, it's yep. like when, when social media works as a legitimate support group, uh, then that, then I go, okay, well, it's worth it because that actually does. That actually does help people. Yeah. And it legitimately changes people's lives. I mean, I know like these episodes that you're doing, and I think I maybe said this to you when you first started doing it. I said, this will change, this will change, this actually will change people's lives because it will open it up as a possibility to them if people are on the fence about it or if people are, you know, maybe if, if it's wrecking someone's relationship and they hear this and they go, oh, okay, you know what? It's this thing and not us necessarily. Totally. So we can get through this. Yeah. Okay. It helped a lot. Like after when we found out my sperm was so dumb, when I was talking about it on this podcast. Is it like the little homers bumping yeah, into each other? Just, and there's not that many of them. And, uh, you know, when I talked about that on this podcast, it was people would tweet at me or whatever and just like coming out of the woodwork going like oh me too and i was like oh well i mean why, why fucking talk about it why aren't you talking especially about it? men don't talk about it yeah. and so that was like a very powerful thing for me to see after you guys talked about it at comic-con yeah um seeing all the people tweeting at matt like thanks man you know i'm so glad you talked about this like and i was like wow like men really don't talk about this well, and be- yeah you know it's like they don't want to admit it and and they don't have the same support I think that women do. Um, and so that's been like a nice thing for me to see. Per- like I personally love that men and women listen to our podcast. Well, so much of our identities and, I, you know, I don't know how nature nurture this is, but so much of our identities is 
focused around our genitals, you know, like around totally. our dicks and our balls. And That's so why Bo gets so angry. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so when so when something isn't working the way we think it should be working, it really is a crushing blow yes. to our ego because we feel like we're, I'm not a man. That's how right. you define a man, and that's and I'm. I guess I'm not. And so it, it really is. You know, it, it depending on how you were raised. You know, it can really be uh, like crippling for, totally. for for guys because they don't have anything else to to hang on to. It's like no, right. you're more than that. You know, yes, it's you know, it's it's not it's a it's a rough period that you're going yes. through, but you're not you're not abnormal or broken or ruined or anything and so that's why i do i do think it's great to you know when people talk about that stuff yeah i mean and almost every episode someone writes in with like they're like it's some aside that one of us has made and they're like that thing you said about whatever you know people identify with so much of what we're saying in a way that i think we're not even like aware of as we're saying it right um but like you know like you were saying it like i think it does bring comfort to people and and the other thing that has been really powerful for me to see is the number of people listening who aren't going through ivf and who say oh this has like made me understand infertility and ivf a lot more and they say it's like made them more sympathetic friends mm-hmm. uh, or family members to you know their friends and family members who are going through ivf and so i just think the more like awareness there can be around it the better so i love that people who aren't going through ivf are listening to it also yeah plus we don't take i mean we don't take it super seriously we try to have fun and 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 just be normal human beings having a conversation and you know, sometimes I say things that, like uh, I want her to get a C-section because I want her to keep it tight down there. Oh, and Jesus then people Christ. email like, why did you say that? You're an insane person. I'm like, God, they don't really understand me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I just was... say, can you stop saying keep it tight down there? Please? <laughs> <laughs> but obviously Dory knew this about you before she agreed to marry you. Yes. But... Because Matt, I don't, I don't think Matt, I don't remember you you changing your personality when you guys were dating so no she got well did she get the full mat that's that's it's interesting you say that i was more uh ready to go along with things but i am not like she would make plans and i would always uh, be okay with these plans and be delighted to go see the whoever the fuck we were Wherever we were going, and not Dave Matthews, not Dave Matthews, and uh, you know, I've, I, I slowly let the uh, dragon out of the egg there when I was like, you know, I don't, don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrible. Yeah, but we figured it out. <laughs> we figured we figured out how our life works, and we had, you know, the podcast has helped us immensely because we talk. We have a we have a date to talk every sunday night we sit down and record the podcast i think that's great i almost think people should do that even if they don't intend to put it out totally how how often do you sit down not you but like one you sit down with your partner and have an uninterrupted hour to hour and a half conversation with no tv and no phones and like that doesn't really happen just the two of you i think that i think that i think like a a phantom podcast could help a lot of people totally. place in their relationship. I mean, like I know, you know, when 
when I had my dad on the podcast, I had no idea that it would be one of the most significant – because I had never – sat down and really just talked to him like yeah. a human being and dug her. I mean, you know, we talked on the phone all the time, but it was, a, and I'm sure like in relationships, hey, how was your day? Oh, good. How are you doing? Oh, good. You know, it's rough. Oh, this time. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. Well, let's, you know, let's watch a movie. Okay, great. You know, but, but really in depth, substantial yeah. conversation, which a podcast is somewhat of an interview situation. Totally. Even though I don't really think of it as interviews, but it's more of a structured conversation. And what better way to just like start digging in yeah. and really, even if you don't intend to ever put it out, what a great gift. You know, after my dad died, I was like, I can't believe I almost didn't do that. Yeah. Mm. You know, I have this forever now. This is the, like the one of the most significant conversations I have recorded. Like, even if people just saved it and were like, we're going to give this to our kids someday right, so right, they right. have a sense of who we are as people, I think it's I think it's an interesting, important thing yeah. to do. Yeah, it's, I hadn't really thought about the longevity of it. Yeah. The fact that the whatever being we are creating while doing the podcast. Oh, they, they're going to know that you, you, <laughs> earned, you earned them. Yeah. Uh, so that, yeah, that and uh, we have, we now do a Saturday date night where like we go, we, she picks something, I pick something. And we have this committed, this like Saturday, Sunday situation, and the weekends are great. And that's how we survive in a marriage. I think it's really smart because in the beginning, it's always easy because yeah. you're in that <gasps> yeah. phase. Don't need and, sleep. And it's you effortless. Yeah. It's effortless because you're so you're so driven by the the butterflies. You know, the butterflies totally. are just like turning the wheels. And and then as you get into a relationship, it, it probably seems it's like, oh, but it doesn't feel spontaneous to schedule a thing. Yeah, but once you do it. You know, like exactly. That, th- then you're enga- then you're engaging it, and that's yeah. the important part. Yeah. And Sometimes you- I force spontaneity on her. Where like, oh, we didn't like Saturday. We had no. We'd been going to like concerts on Saturday nights, and like going uh, I don't know, other things we've done. You know, special dinners, so on and so forth. And then we just like it got away from us because like we went on vacation, and then we came back and went to a concert. And then this week we were like, oh, what are we doing? Uh, oh, let's go for a bike ride or something. And then I had to do a couple podcasts, so the daylight was gone. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> I did. Uh, and then uh, I was like, well, let's just let's just go for the patented spontaneous Matt Myra drive where we ended up uh, in Hawthorne. Sure. <laughs> and then ended up in, uh, where did we, uh, San Pedro. Like, we just drove. And it was kind of great to see. I was like, how far does La Brea go? That is a, the most Matt Myra question. That makes so much sense to me that you said that. Yeah. That makes all the sense in the world. And it was it, it was dusk, and we drove through uh, down La Brea to, like, uh, Inglewood and Hawthorne, and it was, Torrance. like, Torrance. And it was Don't great. Don't you go through, like, Holmby Hills? And, no. Or is that no, more not that way. Uh, that's La Cienega. But, like... It was like I was just. We like, saw an abandoned mall. We saw an abandoned. Have you ever seen the Hawthorne Plaza? <laughs> no. Oh, Christopher, are <laughs> you going to go urban? Pull spelunking? it up. <laughs> You're going to go urban spelunking where you like go into an abandoned building and. Well, it's like so we have this fun. I think it's fun. Uh, when we're driving, I'm like, okay, you're our, you're the, you're the 21st century historian on this starship <laughs> journey. <laughs> So we're like, we're driving, and anything that we see, we're like, we have like a question about, like, what the fuck is this Hawthorne Plaza? It's enormous. And then she'll like, she'll look it up, and then like she finds the Wikipedia article for it, and the uh, the fact that it's on abandonedmalls.com. It's 
It's on deadmalls.com. Oh, deadmalls.com. This is the inside of it. And it's just sitting in Hawthorne. Did you go in? No. Uh, It was very much gated up and... uh, That's I'm pretty awesome. sure there. That they've is, shot I'm, they've shot movies awesome. there. Like yeah. there there are scenes in like Minority Report that are in there and other Isn't it in Westworld? Yes, yes it West is in Westworld. So they're going to, so we're like, she's like looking at the information and it's like, oh, it's been approved to be bulldozed and turned into an outdoor uh, grove type place. Or like With apartments. Market. Yeah. And like. You're just thinking, oh my god, it's like gonna totally turn that street back around, and it's like, and they already, it's cute. Like Inglewood and Hawthorne are like kind of great little towns. Like, yeah. Um, but just to the fact that this sad place opened in 1974, 77, and it closed in 1999. So, so it's been that, sitting there for almost 20 years. First of all, not that old for a mall, correct? And second yeah. of all, abandoned. What the fuck? Yeah. Forty? How many acres? Forty-six. Forty acres, acres or something. It's huge. Abandoned in Los Angeles. Wait, hang on. I gotta pee really fast. Hold that bar. <laughs> He's gonna pee. I'm sorry I had to do that. I just I wanted to go pee in lieu of like just going enjoy your burrito and then just ending the podcast. <laughs> no, it's fine. We were talking about uh, this restaurant we went to called Cannibal. Oh, I've heard of this in place. Culver City, very good. Yeah, uh, I was uh, commenting on. I didn't drink, so like much like yourself, we would both be probably ordering uh, a flat water and maybe uh, I got a Diet Coke and they brought it out in a tiny glass bottle, which I hate. No, you're not that Don't like a tiny glass bottle. I want a fountain to fill up my Diet Coke glass and I want it to... uh, If you're going to give me a bottle, Mm -hmm. I don't want a six-ounce bottle. It's ridiculous. New rules. I'm not on an airplane. (laughs) No bottles anymore, guys. (laughs) No tiny aluminum bottles or glass bottles. He drinks it in like two sips. I don't. I, I can't Crazy. tell you the last time I actually drank a soda, but mm-hmm. I always. I mean, I honestly, it. I can't even remember. It's been several years, uh-huh. but but I do think that um, I prefer the bottle. I just like the taste of a. I just like the taste. You like of the it bottle. coming out of glass? Yes, to a can. What to a can? You, you prefer, prefer that? To- oh, to a can. can? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I prefer it to any soda really? experience. Now let's yeah. let's step in the wayback machine. Okay. Pew 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 pew. We're uh, hey, let's say everybody. we're let's say we're seventeen years ago, and we're talking. To, okay. We're talking to Peter Hardwick. I'm four. Oh, okay. All right. No, I was, I was definitely uh, four. Right. <laughs> seventeen years ago when he was four. Uh, <laughs> did you prefer the taste of beer? You just didn't care. Out of I didn't care. I liked I liked all of it differently. I had a very, I had a very compartmentalized approach. You know, there were some times where I felt like, oh, I want a tall Sapporo bottle uh-huh. versus other times I want a frosty mug, but only certain types of beers tasted good in the frosty <laughs> mug. The cheaper American beers, I feel like, taste better in a frosty yeah. mug. Um, but I liked, you know, I liked Moretti or uh-huh. Sapporo or, you know, uh, Budvar, which was Czechoslovakian. Budvar, I prefer all those in bottles. Uh-huh. Um so that that's how that was my approach back then. It just depended on what what it was. Understood. Well, my yeah. approach with soda, Diet Coke, particularly, it's the only soda I have drank or drink, uh, and I don't drink it anymore. Really, jeez, only on vacation or at a restaurant where I'm having some Dude, bread. Where do you fall in this issue? I mean, this is I don't drink soda. Really hard hitting. <gasps> Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying, like, they have these aluminum bottles, aluminum shaped bottles. Yeah, I like those. Them. I like those. 
But again, it's the it's the amount of liquid they're giving you. That's too little for me. Where did La Brea actually end? It turns into Hawthorne Boulevard at some point when you're staying on it. Unless I went the wrong way. No, I think it, I think you're right. Um, but yeah, so this it's just there used to be a big aerospace industry in Hawthorne that was Grumman uh, and uh, Grumman rather and um, Howard Hughes. Yeah, and Lockheed Martin all were over there. Like a lot of the components for the Apollo missions were built in Hawthorne. Um, and it's just sad. Like a lot of aerospace has moved out of there. So the the town in the like eighties, right? We were reading. Yeah, that's sort of when that 90s. mall started to take a downturn. What a fun idea, though, you guys! What a fun idea to just yeah. like you know. And it doesn't cost anything to do that, yeah. and you spend time together. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you a question, Dory. Yes. If I am ever privy to, like, NASA auctions, is it better if I don't tell Matt about it, or is it better if I tell him about it? Um, don't tell him, please. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, I mean, it's been a, it's been a... It's been an interesting time for us adjusting to this whole IVF costing a fuck ton per pop. Um, yeah. Now, do you feel like it's? Do you feel like the cost? Can the medical industry justify the cost, or you feel like no? You, it's just more like, well, this is what we can charge because if people want it that bad, they'll fucking pay it. Is it like that kind of a thing? I mean, look, I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> um, it seems exorbitant to me, but is it like twenty five grand every time you try? Basically, and then the drugs, you know, if they're not covered by insurance, they're also another like four to five thousand dollars. Are they covered by insurance? No, uh, no. Um, generally not. Generally not. Some insurances have I've, have infertility coverage, but is a lot it thought of, of as a, is it, do they approach it like elective surgery, for instance? It's just not covered. It's just not covered. Um, and so yeah, so it's super expensive. I, I have no. The only thing I will say is that now that we do the podcast, you know, we hear from people from all over the country and in different parts of the world, and there are parts of the country. Like where the cost of living is less, where IVF is also less, mm-hmm. and around the world it's also less. Now, look, I understand Los Angeles is an expensive city. I'm sure there's like parts of the cost that are like rent of the office, you know, like sure. stuff like that. But it does seem like a lot of money. I can't imagine that the rent on Brentwood in Brentwood is cheap where we go. So no, <laughs> it's but it's, still, uh, it's like yeah, you're like really. It costs this much? (laughs) (laughs) For reals? Yeah. This vial is $1,000? Is that what you're telling me? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. $1,000 for this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I wonder if, I mean, I assume some of that is just (laughs) part of the fucked up medical industry. Oh, 100%. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Fully. It's really fascinating. Like, you have to spend over 10% of your income to write off medical expenses on your taxes and we got there it's insane oh my god it's fucking insane so the um so but what's nice about the podcast is you hear from all these people sometimes you hear from people who are like you know i'm in israel and it was free uh, i'm in england and i got it gets covered i'm in canada and some of it's covered you know it's just really interesting to hear from all of these different places and if we still lived in massachusetts it'd be it would be covered it'd be covered holy shit yeah. yeah. So there's no way to establish residence in Massachusetts. Well, there's a way, but the problem would be 
having to get out there and to be out there while going through it would be a big pain in the ass. But I have friends, my uh, my friends Kevin uh, and Kelly, his they were living in Florida and had to start doing IVF, and they moved back to Massachusetts to get the IVF for free. Holy shit! It's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. So where are you at today? Today we're like nowhere. Like we're in a holding pattern essentially because we're waiting for my book stuff to be over. Oh, right, 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 yeah. right. Right. And when is that? Um, so my book is out next week, April 25th. You excited? I'm very excited. That's very exciting. Um, yeah. And I'm going on a book tour. So there's going to be a lot of just like travel and stuff happening for the next month or so. So I will pick up the IVF after that. When you get back. We're gonna we're gonna test her endometrial lining when we get back. That's the other hilarious thing is like Matt knows all these terms now that he <laughs> never knew before. Yeah. <laughs> Asked me fucking a year ago what that was. We're like, oh, they didn't talk about it on a Next Generation. It's not in yeah, his lexicon. Exactly. Like, is that like a defensive scheme for the Steelers? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, so you know we're gonna we're gonna check because we did a transfer that you know we did over Thanksgiving. It didn't work. Didn't work. It just didn't work. And uh, and they don't know why. We don't know why. We don't know if the window we went in was a little. So that being said, so like we didn't know if like the window of when we were implanting the embryo was right, uh, what her lining was like at that point, so on and so forth, which just for me reinforces the miracle of birth, like the miracle of that fucking sperm cell, literally hitting that egg. Yeah, and. Becoming a splitting enough cells, becoming an embryo, attaching itself. Do you just look at the Duggars and go, "What the f- serious fuck?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There I mean, is a human pyramid scheme. Sperm can that guy have? I mean, and it's how insane. many eggs could that woman have? I know. I mean, is it? I've always been. I've never actually had to do that. Like, go into a doctor's office and like you yeah. know, crank one out for yeah. science. But what is the? What is the process of that like? I mean, how does it... Because obviously, it's, you know, the setting feels a little it's ter- it's terrible. jarring. It's the, and know, then when and you walk out, like, you have to hand someone a, 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 like a, yes. a beaker of your own man mayonnaise and be like, this, I, made, I just made go. this. And you can't... I mean, do you make eye contact or is it I weird? actually, when I drop it off, I say, coming in hot. <laughs> <laughs> and I put it on the, and I put it on the little place where they say that's put my it. husband. Everyone, it's <laughs> your problem now, Jordan. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like it's 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 a weird, it's a very weird situation. You're, you're holding your, you're holding a fucking container of hot jizz. <laughs> it's just like. And you're you're like looking Fresh around out of the like, oven. You're, Fresh out of the yeah, oven. So you nothing like she has to go. Like this is the crazy part to me is like we have to go there in the morning. And when we're doing this, like when she does a retrieval, they need fresh sperm to do to try to fertilize, fertilize the eggs. So she has to fucking get wheeled into her. She has to go under. So there's a doctor working on her, a nurse. I literally have to walk into a room 
and hope I can find something to jerk off to. Like I, I just like walk golf in, magazine. What is it? You open the drawer. It's there's a variety of. Uh, I would find. I would say that the selection of porn at the at the clinic we go to is rough. Do you want to touch any of it though? Really? No, no, no. no. You don't. But I did do a little scan through the book just to see what it was doing before I was sure. like, thank God I have the internet. Right. Um, but it's a sad room. Um, there's usually a toilet in there for some reason. Uh, there's usually a, a pleather chair that is rough. Was it just like one of those chairs that, like, if you were in college and you saw it on the side of the street, you'd be like, no. No. That's not coming. Not in. only am I not going to just sit on that, yeah. I'm definitely not going to jerk <laughs> yeah. off on that chair. Yeah. So there's that. You like put down a little pad like you're a puppy trainer. It like, seems like a thousand other people have already jerked off on that chair. Hundreds oh, of thousands. Yeah. I yeah. can't even One time we were fucking, it took forever because like, there was a guy in there. <laughs> Let's pick it up in there. And like, it was like, I was waiting like an hour and a half. And there, I was like talking to the nurse. I was like, "What's going on?" I was like, oh, "It's kind of there's a backup in there." And I finally see the guy come out of the room, and everyone knows what the guy's doing in there. But I finally see the guy come out of the room, and he looks like he has just fucking stormed the beach at Normandy. <laughs> like he is just like there's sweat on his brow. His his polo shirt is like uh, like a little disheveled, and I don't know if he got one, but I. It, just like I have so much sympathy for that guy because it's like, you know what's happening in there. We all know what's happening in there. You're in there. I like try to get in and out in ten minutes. And the more you stress about it, the yeah. more difficult it becomes. I'm sure. You know what they should do is just come up with a series of settings for people like this is an airplane lavatory. We, this uh, is the dressing room. We've talked. I mean, we talked about this a, on the show where it's like at a Dillard's. Just, it's so funny because I talked about this and. All we do is like get people like saying, "Oh, the jerk off room at my place was terrible too." Uh, but then the, my favorite email we've gotten so far was from a lesbian couple that had they were doing a turkey baster insemination, mm-hmm. you know. So they had their uh, friend coming over, and they asked me because they'd heard me complaining about the jerk off room. They asked me to set the table. Like, what is what is the setting? <laughs> What create man, create the man, perfect. What's your jerk perfect off jerk off room? Yeah. Oh, what's your perfect spank cave? Uh, well, <laughs> no, but they were like, what? What was it that like flipped me? I the was ramekin. Like, they wanted him to jerk off into a ramekin. What? And I was just like, I was like, there's no. Ladies, I love you, but there's it's just there's so many issues that come with getting a ramekin. You're like, okay, what's like. Was there a souffle in here at some point? Right. What am I? What will you throw it out afterwards? Right. Like that would just be in my head. I couldn't do it. So I was like, I was like, go to CVS, go to the pharmacy. You can get a urinal container, like a little urine test. Don't thing. you see what's developing here? Is that you guys? There is a multi-million-dollar interest <laughs> industry if you create fapperware, where it's basically <laughs> just. A, a certain type of sharks. <laughs> I'm in. I'll give you two point four million dollars for that deal. Uh, so yeah, so like, uh, and I and they were they forget what their other questions were, but a lot of it, like what they were saying they were gonna do, I was like, this is not this is a setup for failure. I was like, I, I was like, here's what you do: make you can have let them use a bedroom. Make sure there's a high internet speed. Tell him to bring his own fucking laptop. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, because he's not going to have to think about browser history or anything like that. He can just go do what he needs to do. Uh, if you want to set, you light some candles for him, great. You really want to make it a time. Make I said, I said, but please, if you're going to be home, go downstairs or far as far away from the bedroom as you can and play very loud movie or music so that, like, you know that you can do it in quiet. Because, like, the room at the California Fertility Partners where we go is right next to the lab. <laughs> and you're just hearing chit-chat about where they're fucking going for lunch, and I'm in here trying to make a child. Did you see Game of Thrones last night? Yeah, oh, it's man. that shit. So it's, I was just like, you know, just play some... It's like, I was like, the ideal... I, for me, I think it's the ideal scenario uh, for jerking off and making a baby and the ideal scenario for shitting aren't that far apart. Sure. You know what I mean? It's just, just need, like, just I just need, need me time. Private. I need no one else to hear this. Yeah. And that's it. Like, Todd Glass used to have a funny joke about how he would love to have in a, a bathroom attendant that just plays the trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> just to block out yeah, the sound. Yeah, like, of course, that's what you want to do. But so, yeah, that, that was my advice on their drip. But that was like one of my favorite emails, that they were going to make their guy jerk off into a ramekin. That, um, I'm glad that didn't work out yeah, that way. Yeah, yeah. We, seems... we should find that. We should, I hope to yeah, hear from them again. Hear, we should we ask should about that. If them. it all worked out. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I hope... How are you feeling emotionally? Are you have you just sort of put it all on hold to get through the book as well? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, like in my brain, <laughs> there's not room for like working full time IVF book. Like something has to give, and right now the thing that's giving is IVF because I have to be thinking about my book. Sure. So, what advice would you give? Like, what sort of quick advice would you give to other people who are? I would say try to make, like, everything else going on in your life as, like, stress-free as possible. Like, now is not the time to, in my opinion, like, now is not the time to, like, start looking for another job or, you know. Move. Or moving. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, try to just have other things as much as you can. Have other things in your life be calm. Yeah. Um, Obviously, that's not always possible. But, like, to the extent that you can, I think that's important. And then um, lastly, uh, how do you how do you handle a Matt Myra on a daily basis? What is the um, if if someone out there is looking to get their own Matt Myra? Sure, um, you know I think in all marriages, like <laughs> you have to pick your battles, right? Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, and that's like something that I'm not always good at, and. Matt sometimes makes it hard because sometimes he does things that annoy me and I'm like, is this something I should get upset about (laughs) (laughs) or is this something I should just let go? Um, And so, yeah, like we kind of try to figure out things to compromise like date night. Yeah. I mean, it just turned into a thing of like, I never wanted to. He never wanted to do anything. Well, this is surprising to no one. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to be like, I work a lot. And like, when yeah. I get home, I want to be home. I know, but sure. she works a lot too. Yeah. And I, I was like, she and gets I need to walk attention. Our dog in the middle of the day. <laughs> she works very close to our house. And uh, <laughs> sometimes I leave, she's like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to go in today. She can work from home. It's a beautiful thing that she has over there. So, anyway, that's, that's, I'll compromise. And for me, it's not, uh, it's not, I always de escalate. Well, not always, 
I would say 95% of the time I try to de-escalate whatever the argument could be just by listening to her, hearing her, and being calm about it. Well, there is a very important step in the process where your lizard brain starts to get activated and then all of a sudden you're just you're just arguing to argue. Yeah, totally. And it's like, well, this isn't – and you have to stop and take a breath and go – is this moving closer? Right. Are we going to yeah. understand each other by the time this is over? Or are we just, you know, are, it's, are we just going to get louder and we just going to like storm off and totally. then nothing, nothing gets solved? So Matt is actually very good at not letting it get to that place. I'm very glad to hear that. Thank you. I'm very glad yeah, to hear that. Too. If you want to hear more about this, you can check out Matt and Dory's Excellent Adventure, available on iTunes. Someday on Stitcher, where I get my ship it together. I don't. Know. Are you going to stop doing the podcast when you get pregnant? You know, we don't know. We don't know. Like we've, there have been people who have emailed us and been like, "I hope you guys keep doing it." Like when you get pregnant. But it's just like I don't want to like because there's it's you know it's a sensitive bunch the bunch of people that are going through IVF you know and sometimes when they hear about someone having successful IVF they get a little pissed off. So I just. It'd be interesting to figure out if that would be like a crazy trigger for people of like, well, here's us. Our well, they could also just baby. not listen, though. You right. Know what I or mean? maybe like, we get a whole different audience. Like, I, I mean, I, I think once you've sort of established your relationship yeah. and people like hearing you, I I do think that it could evolve. Yeah. You know, through the pregnancy. You I mean, know, I've, just, I've the... been trying to get her to be a mommy blogger and to start doing unboxing videos on YouTube. Sure. Just yeah. really exploring yeah. mm-hmm. the financial streams that can come <laughs> from this hundred thousand dollar investment. Unboxing of making. another guitar that you shouldn't have purchased. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at this one! No, 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 mommy bloggers. It's got to be. It's got to be like uh, bullshit for babies, right? That's what they unbox. Yeah. 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 Oh God, I can't wait. Just <laughs> all the tweets. Set her up and say, "Here's the here's the camera. Go go nuts." Oh boy. <laughs> we'll <a> nice DSLR. <laughs> we'll make sure we have good audio, and you'll be wow. He's really chippery. fun about this. I oh, just, he's really. You know, Matt's very thorough. Great yeah. mommy blogger. If nothing else, also. Matt's very thorough. Indeed. Matt is incredibly thorough. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Matt was just. Uh, Matt was doing that thing that sometimes guys do, which, which is massaging the shoulder. Of his wife, which I think is almost a. Did I go too far? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you okay? We still love each other. Yeah. Just trying to see. Just we trying to see how tense the shoulders yeah, we're are. In <laughs> we're in love. We live together still. See, it, uh, right. Dory has uh, removed and dropped her ring into a vat of acid. <laughs> oh which no! She with her. <laughs> I was anticipating this moment. <laughs> well, I it's the only thing I ever paid for out of pocket. Come on! <laughs> I love that you're in Matt's life. I think he's incredibly lucky to have you, and you, I've always uh, had such tremendous respect for you. As uh, and I'm so incredibly excited and proud that you fucking wrote a book in the midst of everything. Else. It's hard to just write a book. Thank just you. Just by itself is not an easy thing to do. But on top of everything else, and uh, you know, continuing to work, and it's a novel. It's amazing. Start up a novel, which is oh, this podcast is going up tomorrow, so this is available next week. It yeah. is available next week. You Please. can you can you still pre-order, pre-order it. it, which is actually a really great way to help authors because all pre-orders get uh, an account for your first week of sales, and that's where you can make the New York Times bestseller list. That is where you can make the New York Times bestseller list. All kinds of great things can happen. So 
Yeah, it would be awesome. And oh, just a nickel pitch for the book for people who don't know what it's about. Um, it is about the tech world in New York City and a startup founder who gets caught in a scandal and a young tech reporter, a woman who uncovers the scandal um, and events unfold from there. Excellent. It's true. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Giving people a peek into the world of Matt Myra. <laughs> oh, should we mention any of my appearances? Are you, are you doing? Are you doing, yeah. doing a fuck ton? I'm of doing a bunch of them. Can I? Can I? You can say anything you okay, want. Okay, cool. Anything you All want. All right. Um. So. April 26th, Wednesday, I'll be at Housing Works in New York City. April 27th, I will be at Powerhouse Arena in Brooklyn. Uh, April 30th, I will be at Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine. May 1st, I will be at Trident Bookstore in Boston. It's going to be wicked awesome. And Matt will be there, too. Uh, Thursday, May 4th, Skylight Books, Los Angeles, California. Um, May 17th. Book People in Austin, May 30th, Palo Alto, Stanford University Bookstore. By the way, all from memory, guys. Yeah. Thank you. And June 1st, I will be at Book Passage in San Francisco. So please come. It would be great to meet you. I a music bed because when I worked in radio, if you were ever like a music bed always... You know, just oh, during the plugs. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I, I heard it and I appreciated it. Great. I, I'm, I'm sorry. That was impressive. Thank you. I honestly, don't. We're like, where are you going to be? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's in my eye, gal. I, I've lost the ability to retain information anymore. That's why I have this external hard drive that I carry. Everywhere. Thank God, teleprompters were invented because your brain, if you had to memorize everything you have to say, would melt. It's all, it's all <laughs> off the. Top. Oh, I mean, uh, uh, talking about Chris, Matt, what's you're a doing teleprompt. Uh, what? <laughs> I don't even know it's what an invention I made up. Uh, I it's it in my jerk off like room. A real thing. It's put a teleprompter in your jerk off room. <laughs> Over to Whoa. you and send us your. <laughs> Coming in hot. Top ten. BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed. Ready? BuzzFeed. Oh, yeah. Uh, ten, ten celebrity jerk-off rooms. Oh. Guys. Send us your ideal jerk-off room. Love it. At Matt Myron. That's like something I'd really like to get the Property Brothers involved in. <laughs> like if we went from fucking par- clinic to clinic remaking their jerk-off oh. rooms. Like even if it was a web series. Yeah. That would be amazing. Would be like, because they are uniformly bad. Yeah. It, the jerk off rooms are uniform. They need us. It'd be like when John Taffer walks into a failing bar. Right. They would see me and the Property Brothers walk into their failing jerk off room. Jerk off room rescue? Sometimes it's an ambush. Might be someone in there. Yep. We don't know. You have no idea. That's the beauty. That's why people tune in. You know, I think if we put down some velvet pillows to really rub against the skin, that's going to be a real value add. <laughs> Shiplap. <laughs> <laughs> It's from me, Shiplap. <laughs> oh, that's from Fixer Upper. She loves sure Shiplap. Is. Loves Shiplap. Does loves she loves Shiplap. Ever. Oh, let's head to the silo. <laughs> We're out of Shiplap. Let's head to the silo. We're going to go to Wayfair.com for a good spank couch. A little spank sofa on Wayfair.com. You know, I really want it. It's just like going to the secondhand store to find like, some Ew. vintage toilet. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this is this is our idea. Yeah, this, this, this is our million dollar show. idea. This is the million dollar idea. Should Ugh. we call HGTV? 
maybe we talk to Fish Ladder, see what they can do with it. We should talk. That's a very good idea. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to produce it for AMC, though. That's fine. They'd love it. I feel like HGTV, if you it were comic book men, rooms, then this jerk off yeah, room show. It wouldn't be home and garden television. It would be TV. Dory, I hope your book. I hope your book. Crushes. Thank you, Chris. So, congratulations. And, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. And I'm now that I'm now that I'm done shooting 24 wall episodes in nine, good ten god. days. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy for like there was a week where it was like Talking Dead on Sunday at midnight, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, two episodes of Talking on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, The Wall, Sunday, back to Talking Dead. Like, how are you alive? Um, you know, I don't know. Do you have any vacation planned? At any point, you must have a hiatus coming up in May, probably, right? But I'm going to host Red Nose Day in New York, so that that's my hiatus. This hiatus was shooting the wall for my midnight, and the next hiatus is Red Nose Day. But June, yeah, we're already trying to figure out where to go. Right, we, we would recommend go. Paris. Paris is nice, but I I don't know if I want a vacation that I'm gonna need to recover from by the time I get back. So oh any, yeah, the time mm. any, any, anywhere where get you go, totally. anywhere that's more than six hours totally. difference, it's yeah. like oh then it, then you come yeah. back and you're yeah. tired. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, have fun in Vancouver, buddy. Be <laughs> Vancouver. Maybe we'll drive to Lake Tahoe, maybe. or maybe we'll drive yeah, yeah. To... our ne- my next big drive. I want to see how fucking long Western is. Good idea. Have you ever, you know, you can see from the hills. You can see Western. It's just yeah. a straight shot into the yeah, abyss. bro. <laughs> I want to know what's down there. <laughs> How far does Western go? You're so adventurous. I was like blown away. I was like, we're on, we're at 222nd Street. Oh my God. This is amazing. He was blown away. We used to live off 3rd Street. I mean. We're at 222nd Street. I mean, I can't believe this, the adventurous side of Matt Myra. How are you not soups turned on right now, Dory? That's part of our excellent adventure, guys. How far does a western go? Well, you better turn the car on and get home because we're not going to find out, my friend. Where it is we're time going, for we love. don't need a jerk. <laughs> yes. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream. So he created Halo Top, in his Cuisinart, or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free Right now on Wondery Plus.